0: Alright, Mark chapter 16, and we're down in verse 15, 16, 17 here, we 18, we looked last time at verse 16, uh, we'll start reading here at verse 15 just for the context, again this is post-resurrection commissions here, you've got one at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and then the beginning of Acts, so Matthew uh, 28, that happens out in the mountains of Galilee, Mark... And Luke and John are all in the upper room. Mark and John are the night of the resurrection. Luke and Acts is right before the ascension. So you've got things happening here. And again, the the the, the thing is, is they they each of the four, well five if you count Acts one, give different uh, instructions for different areas. Matthew 28 tells them about the millennial kingdom, what they'll be doing there. Uh, Mark here is dealing with the tribulation period of time. Luke and Acts deal with that uh, the beginning of the uh, Acts, the early Acts period and what they're happening prior to. Mark is covering the whole tribulation, whole time of tribulation from the, the ascension all the way out through the 70th week and into the second coming. And then John covers the whole of it, and here's the authority by whom now you're going to act, and uh, that is in, in place of the Son. So verse 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now we've looked at those verses, we talked about belief, faith is the issue. It's faith on, on both sides of the equation. If you're a believer and you believe you're going to get water baptized because that's what you're to do, and then you're saved. And it's salvation here, and not under eternal life, but salvation from that physical wrath that's coming, that judgment, that tribulation that's coming. Now, if you don't believe, then it doesn't matter whether you're water baptized or not. You're damned you're done you're cut you're the chaff into the fire that's what you are and again the issue of believing because now in verse 17 he's going to say and these signs shall follow them that believe and my name shall they cast out devils they shall speak with new tongues they shall take up serpents and if they drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt them they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover now the He's, now he's going to talk to them about, if you believe, now these signs are going to, uh, they're going to follow. Now, verse 20 is the purpose of the signs. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and and here it is, confirming the word with signs following, amen. So when we talk about signs, which is what we're going to do this evening and get the, the verse 17 started when they're talking about signs he's talking about a miraculous supernatural event that's taken place now that event it's not a n- normal thing it's not a natural thing i had a guy one time i was working when i was working in real estate and he was a realtor and he him and i began kind of became friends if you will because he, he had the lender that I was working for used him in a lot, so we had a lot of interaction. And he's booming. He's making money, hand over fist, just bam, bam, bam. And every time I saw him, the Lord's blessing me. The Lord's blessing me. And I told him, I said, you need to knock that off because the Lord's not blessing you. A hot real estate market is blessing you. Oh, no, no, the Lord's doing it. And as soon as 08 hit and the bottom fell out, he was cussing God out. See? Well, he saw, he thought the, the lucrative, the prosperity was God blessing him. Well, then if, if God's blessing you in one moment and now you're losing, then God's got to be doing it to you here. At least he was consistent in what he believed. But it wasn't God. That was a natural occurrence in the in, in, in the in the movement of things because he wasn't the only one making a ton of money. Uh, another guy I worked with, a loan officer, he, he was making millions during the ramp. So it isn't that. That's not a sign. That's not a miraculous supernatural event. The miraculous supernatural event has a purpose, and the purpose is verse number 20, the end of it there, confirming the word with signs following. Okay? Okay? The signs, the wonders, the miracles, the miraculous, supernatural event aren't happening through the course of normal activity of life, nor are they there for the convenience of those that are involved. They're not there to make life easier for anybody. They're there for the purpose of confirming the word that God is is having preached, okay? And that's very critical that we understand that because a lot of times you don't. You think, oh, God's doing this, God's doing that. No, he's not. If God's doing something and you say God did this, then the question that's got to be asked is, what verse did that right there confirm? See, because what is it? and confirming the word with signs following, amen. You see, if you say, well, God did this, then there's got to be a verse that that event confirms. And now we're in trouble because guess what? A lot of it isn't. A lot of it is just what we want it to be and we hope it to be. So the purpose of the signs and the wonders, again, are, are going to be very specific. So when you I had a guy ask me one time, how do you know God's not healing today because God's word says he's not? Yeah, but I saw this happen. God's word says he's not. It gets boils down to whether you believe God's word or not. That's where it comes down to. You can get mad at me, argue with me all day long, but God Mark 16:20 and some other passages we're going to look at here says that the signs are confirming the word with signs following. So, the again, <laughs> the, issue, the issue here with, and these signs shall follow them that believe. The issue of faith here. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So what do we need? We have to have the word of God. And now that sign is going to confirm the Word of God. Again, it's not by just a wish that we wish it would be or we hope that it would be. It has to be something that God has said, and the sign then, in, it, it confirms that verse. All right? So, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you also, you got to be careful. At, look over at uh, 2 Thessalonians 2. Sometimes we tend to forget this. Any kind of sign or intervention or miracle that is supernatural, in other words, not a natural occurrence of life, okay? You know, you let a guy in. He's waiting to get in. You let him in, and you say, well, karma will pay me back. (laughs) And what happens? Two streets down, the guy lets you in. So see, oh, that was God intervening and blah, blah, blah. No, he wasn't. That's a natural thing of life that you just got lucky somebody let you in <laughs> and was kind to you. See, anything supernatural, non-natural event, it is there, the issue is, is in Scripture it's there to confirm something that Scripture tells us. And what we have to be careful of is forgetting 2 Thessalonians 2. If you look here at verse 9, where Paul's dealing with the Antichrist and the 70th week of Daniel events, he says, "...even him," talking about the, that wicked be revealed, verse 8, the Antichrist, is, uh, "...whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish." See that thing about signs and powers and lying wonders? The adversary can do signs and wonders and miracles, and it's a lie. See? So before you give God the benefit of something that happens that's supernatural, you better be careful because if God did it, it's going to confirm a verse. And by the way, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says all that stuff is stopped. It's ceased. God isn't operating that way. He's operating through the word of God, working effectually in you that believe. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. So before, you know, I'm not not upset with anybody, but to, to drive home the point. Now go back to Mark 16. Because the issue here is the signs are designed in Scripture to be a confirmation of something that Scripture tells us. So in verse 17. These signs shall follow them that believe, In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. All of those signs are going to be confirming what the Word is preaching. Notice, and And these signs shall follow them that believe, see? So these signs are going to come up. They're going to be active. And again, this isn't in the dispensation of grace. This is in time past. It's in Israel's program. It's going to work out through the prophetic program out into the future of us now because we interrupted it. So this has nothing to do with you and I. If you tried to drink a deadly thing, you know what it would do to you? It'll kill you. You don't trust, you don't believe me? We got some Drano in the back room back there. We'll get it out and you just go chug a lug. And let's see, we'll we'll get poison control on the, see, that isn't, you go down and mess with the snake, what's it going to do? It's going to hit you and it's going to hurt you and it's going to, I don't know if it'll kill you or not if we get you to the hospital on time, okay? There was, you know, the snake handler whole thing, you know, in the, in the. Uh, really not in the south but in the hill country and stuff a lot of those guys defang the snake so that they don't die they cheat see well why why well they know that if we get bit it's going to not be what the case is see so really the first question in verse 17 is what are they believing these signs shall follow them that believe Believe what? See, that's really the first question that needs to be answered before we can ever really get to the signs. So, what word is being preached that the signs are, verse 20, confirming? Well, the answer is verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So, what are they going to go do? They're going to go preach the gospel. Well, what gospel were they preaching? That's easy, Matthew 24. Come over to Matthew 24. You see, when you begin to think about this and get out of the hysteria of having to have a miracle or a sign and you get into the book and you start looking at things, real quickly this lays itself out for you and you go, well, wait a minute, we're good, you know. But if you rightly divide the word, you would never really be sucked into thinking you got signs and wonders and all this going on around you, because Paul has told you all that is stopped, all that's been interrupted. So Matthew 24, look at verse 1. Notice which gospel they are preaching. Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not? All these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be overthrown, down, shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be? That's question number one. And number two, what shall the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world now, there's two questions. You know how you know there's two questions? There's two question marks. It's pretty easy. This is not hard. But this is the second Olivet They call this the Olivet Discourse. This is the second time from the Mount of Olives he's going to teach. Okay? Now, hold on to 24, flip over to 626. Just catch the timing here of this, because this is very important to where we're at in Mark 16. Matthew 26, verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. Okay, so Matthew 24 and 25, we got the Olivet Discourse. He's going to lay some things out for them. Okay? Now he's finished. Verse 2. Ye know that after two days is the Feast of Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Okay? So he gets done. And he says, in two days, after giving the discourse, what's he going to do? He's going to die. Now, three days later, he's resurrected. So we've got, and that's where we're on, Mark, we're on the night of the resurrection, Mark 16. So five days after going, giving the Olivet Discourse, he says, Mark 16, 15, Go out into the world and preach to every preach the gospel to every creature. There has been no time in there for him to change the gospel message from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of the grace of God. There's been no way. He's been a little busy. Okay, He's been two days in trial and, and beaten up. He's been three days dead, buried, and then he rose. So he has no time to say, okay, guys, stop. We're going to do something different now. Now, go back to... Chapter 24. So looking backwards, what gospel does he tell them to preach? Well, twenty-four fourteen, And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So what are they going to be preaching? The gospel of the kingdom. If you flip back to chapter 4, that's the gospel we started with, chapter 4 of Matthew. Matthew 4, uh, well, verse 12, now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. So we'll go out in the Galilean ministry, verse 17, from that time, uh, Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at Hand. Verse twenty three, and Jesus went about all Galilee, preaching in their synagogue and, pre- and uh, teaching in their synagogue, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers disease and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. So the gospel of the kingdom, come over to Luke 8. This is where we were Sunday night, Luke 8. The gospel of the kingdom is the gospel that they're preaching and that they're going to uh, believe. Now the gospel of the kingdom has two special signs attributed to it. And we just, what did he, he healed, the, he healed the diseased, and then he cast out the unclean spirits, the devils. Okay, look at Luke 8. So when we see the gospel of the kingdom preached, then you see the signs following, and the signs following are in those two categories of healing the sick and casting out the unclean. That's why Mark 16, 17, what are they doing? They're casting out the devils and they're healing the sick. That's what they're doing. But that's been happening since day one of the Lord's earthly ministry, public ministry, Matthew 4. But it's also, we're going to see it in a minute, been happening since Israel came out of Egypt. We'll see that in just a minute. Now look at Luke 8, verse 1. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. See, what is he doing? When he goes out preaching, by the way, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, are interchangeable. All right? The kingdom of heaven is used predominantly by Matthew, and it's about the kingly, the physical issues, and the physical blessings of that kingdom. The kingdom of God, when it's used, you've got to look around and pay attention, and it's talking about the heart issues and more of the spiritual things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will follow, Matthew 6. So there's not a big difference in these two. Now, when Paul uses kingdom of God, Now he's going to shine the light on the mystery aspect of it, that part kept hid and kept secret. Come over to Acts chapter 3. So in Acts 3, the kingdom of heaven is moved to the the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is moved to the gospel of the circumcision. Look at Acts chapter 3. So when in Galatians and in Acts 15, when, they, when Paul makes that thing about the gospel of the circumcision, Peter and them are preaching, it's right on par with what, Paul's, what Peter and the boys have been preaching about uh, all along. It's just now expanded. So the gospel, uh, you got Acts 3? Go back to Mark 16 just real quick. When we started in verse 15, he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We looked at that. When we looked at that, I told you the message didn't change, but the audience was expanded. Luke 24, you're going to go, but you're going to begin in Jerusalem, see. Then you're going to come over here in Acts 1, and then you're going to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part. That's an expansion. The message doesn't change. The message is the same. It's time for the kingdom. I I put the the, the chart down. But the audience is now expanded. And literally in Mark 16, he's now talking about, you're going to go out there and talk to a bunch of Gentiles, and they're going to believe, and then when they believe, these signs are going to follow them. See, that's why you have to pay attention to what's going on here. Now, they don't get there yet because they get interrupted by us by the dispensation of grace and then time will be you know will be that that actually is going to end up out in the millennial kingdom acts 3 acts chapter 3 and look at verse 18 Peter's talking here but those things now by the way Peter and John just healed the guy outside the temple okay the lame man I said Sunday Peter's first miracle in the book of Acts here in Acts 3 is a dispensational in nature. And the the, uh, lame man outside the temple is a picture of Israel spiritually. They're lame. They're apostate. They can't get into the temple, into the blessings of God. They're on the outside looking in. They're apostate. And then Peter and James come up, I'm sorry, and John come up and they don't give them money or anything. They give them the name of Jesus of Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So here you've got a picture of the little flock rescuing the impotent, the lame nation and getting them into the temple because he, goes, he leaps up, he stands, he runs around and he goes into the temple and he gets the blessing. So you've got a great picture here. So verse 18, by the way, the apostate leaders didn't like this. <laughs> they were a little upset, a little touchy. Okay, So they go after him. And he says, verse 18, But those things which God before had shown by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. The, in, in Acts 3.18, in Peter's thinking, in the Holy Spirit's thinking, because he wrote the verse, The prophetic program is still ticking. It is still working. It has not stopped. It has not been interrupted. It has not been changed. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And ye shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you whom the heavens must receive until the time of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God rise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Mark sixteen sixteen. If you don't believe, what are you? You're damned. That's verse 23. You're, you're gonna perish. There's just you gotta believe. You gotta have, you, you've gotta have that issue settled. Verse 24. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that followed after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Again, the prophetic program is ticking along here. It isn't interrupted, it isn't stopped. Verse 25, ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenants which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindred of the earth be blessed? According to Ephesians chapter number two, that's not Gentiles there, because the Gentiles have been cut off. They're outside. They're aliens. They're not too, uh, Ephesians two eleven and twelve. They they're not. They're without God. They're without hope. They they're cut off from all of that. Here's Israel. They're still the children of the covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is still in operation. The end of the verse, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. There's Genesis 17 and the issue of circumcision. Now watch verse 26. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. That's Israel first. That's why Luke It's beginning at Jerusalem. That's why Acts says, you're going to start here at Jerusalem, you're going to go to Judea, Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part. Why? Because it's through a redeemed Israel that the blessings of God's salvation are going to flow out to all the Gentiles. So now it's moved from gospel of the kingdom to gospel of the circumcision that blessed redeemed nation outdoing what they're supposed to have been doing all along but again the message didn't change the audience changes so when you come back to mark 16 when we talk here about what did they believe that's important there're going to be some signs that are going to follow that are designed to confirm the word of the kingdom, the blessing, the gospel of the kingdom. That's what they believed. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Repent, the kingdom is being offered to you. It's here, take it. It's time to take it. That's why that question in Acts 1, Lord, will you restore again the kingdom? Is it time? And he's like, no, it's not for you to know it. The timing of it belongs to the Father. It will be done. What you're going to do is, in my absence, you're now going to occupy. You've got an occupation to go do, and get that thing, get that little flock built, ready, and let's get going. So, in 17, these uh, Mark 16:17, and these signs shall follow them that believe. The sign issue, again, what are they believing? The king, the gospel of the kingdom. Because it's part of Israel's program. That's when we talked about water baptism. Water baptism isn't Jewish. It's kingdom. That's that's who it belongs to is the kingdom. Whether it's a Jew or a Gentile in the kingdom, that's where the Gentile would be. Baptism belongs to the kingdom. Now, come to Psalms 74. And let's talk about the signs. And then probably have to next time get into them, but we'll see how far we get. Psalm 74. When you think about the sign issue, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, they all belong to Israel, period. When Paul does a sign or a miracle or a wonder in the book of Acts, you go and read where he's writing during that Acts period. So when he's, when he when he's doing stuff here in Acts, you go find the book that he wrote during that period and you go read that, he'll tell you what he's doing. Luke doesn't know that. Luke is just recording the events. Romans eleven eleven, Paul says, I have a, uh, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall. So Acts 7, they fall. Salvation is sent to the Gentile for to provoke them to jealousy. So in Acts, when you see Paul do something, Romans 11:11 tells you, and verse 14 tells you, that he has a provoking ministry to the nation of Israel. And the clear evidence is to go look in Acts 18 at what happened at Corinth, at the church at Corinth. It sits right next door to the synagogue, and, and Paul is able to convert... the. Two of their pastors or rabbis or whatever they're called, leaders, by them simply doing the sign gifts. Speaking in tongues and all the gifts there, 1 Corinthians 12. The Jew looks over and says, What are you doing? What are you, Gentile dog, doing, mine? He goes, Glad you ask. And then he can educate them and so forth. Now, when you come to Psalm 74, Psalm 74 here, it's about the believing remnant in the last days, the 70th week. By the way, the book of Psalms, I've been studying just kind of cursory, looking back through the Messianic Psalms and so forth. But the Psalms, 99.9% of the time, are prophetic in nature. They are talking about stuff in the moment, yes, but they are talking about the future. Now, Asaph is in David's day, and he's talking about the little flock out in the future. Now, he doesn't understand all that, but that's what he's talking about. Look at verse 1. O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why does thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old. The rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion wherein thou hast dwelt, lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolation, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregation. They set up their ensigns for signs. A man was famous according, according as he hath lifted up axes upon the thick trees, but now they break down the carved work thereof at, thereof at once with axe and hammers. Look at what they're doing. That We were made famous by building the idols and the idolatry. And now they've come in and just cast it all down and and beat it all up. Verse 7, they have cast fire into thy sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in their land. You see, we see not our signs. There is no more any prophet, neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? And that's that how long thing. That's the cry of the believing remnant in the tribulation. How long? That's the cry of those saints in the altar and so forth in Revelation. How long? The fire in the sanctuary. The sanctuary, that's the temple. Again, Asa, he lived before the temple was ever built. See, he's in David's day. David didn't build the temple. They they got the tabernacle floating around still. Solomon builds the temple, the, the house. Verse 9, how long? We don't see our signs. There is no more any prophet, neither is there any uh, there among us any that knoweth how long. They're looking for things that were to, they're looking for signs. They were, they were looking for something to confirm the word of deliverance, and they weren't seeing it at all. You see, the signs belong to that believing remnant. The signs belong to Israel. They do not belong to you and I. They never have. You and I as Gentiles were never, come back to Exodus 4. They were never, we were never on the thinking process of the signs. They belong to that little group that's going to go in, who are going to, I love that thing in, in Matthew, well, it's in the Gospels, all of them. When the things happen that Daniel talks about, let him that readeth understand. That means there's a Bible believer reading that, going, that right there is what that says, and that's a fulfillment of that, and we're out of here. (laughs) It's time to hit the trail. You see, they're not looking for, you know, they're not, oh, the Lord's moving. No, he done moved, and let's move. we got to go. This is not a mystical, spooky thing here. This isn't an inner feeling of anything. This is legitimate stuff that's happened and it's right at the top, Exodus 4, did I tell you that? Right at the top, and it's always been this way in Israel's history. The sign gifts, the sign program begins with Israel's movement, Exodus, out of Egypt. Moses, Exodus 4 here. Moses, God tells Moses, you go, hey, Mo, go down there to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people Go. And, the, you know, Moses says, well, who? they're going to ask me, who are you, who, by who? And he says, I am that I am. And he gives him the Jehovah command. And then he says, well, hang on a minute now. You know, really Moses is trying to get off the hook. He's squirming. Verse 1, and Moses answered and said, but, see, he's arguing with the Lord, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. You see, Moses, they're not going to believe me. They're not even going to listen to me. I'm not even going to get one word out. By the way, back up in verse 18 of chapter 3, And, they sh- and God has told, already told Moses, They shall hearken to thy voice. Moses, they are going to listen to you. Yeah, but 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 Lord, they're really not. I, I stutter, I gotta stutter, I gotta say, I'm really soft-spoken. They're not gonna listen. No, they are going to listen to you. So Moses is hesitating here. God has already said, they will hear you out. Moses is hesitating, chapter 4, verse 2. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Now, there's a lot going on here. Moses' hand, that is the instrument by which he's going to serve Israel, is his hand. He's going to do some things, and it's a hand. But then he's got a rod. Now, the rod is an instrument of authority. Moses has a rod. By the way, Moses is also a king, so it's a rod of a king as well. David has a rod. The little flock is the rod of, or the Antichrist is the rod of indignation in the Lord's hand. See, the rod has to do with... um, with authority, government, rule, the rod of a king, authority to, to rule as a king, kingdom authority. But, mo, but the rod here with Moses is a is a rod of a prophet. And as a prophet, again, that's who he is. Uh, hold on to Exodus 4. Come on, look at Psalms 110. Hold on to Exodus 4. Daniel, uh, 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 I'm sorry, Psalms 110. You see, you've got this, it's the, the doctrinally, the rod is very significant. It's very important because it's the issue of power, of authority. Psalms 110 verse 1, "...the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies." So the rod is going to do what? Rule. Okay? Revelation 19, they're going to rule with a rod of iron. You see, the rod of a king is ruling. Moses' rod represents, again, it represents the issue of authority to rule. So go back there to Exodus 4. You see, Israel... He's going to lead Israel out of Egypt to do what? To rule in the earth. That's their purpose. So here's Moses. He's got his, rod, his hand. I'm going to serve you by my hands. I'm, you know, I'm the instrument. He's got his rod, which is an instrument of ruling, of reigning, and he's going to lead Israel out of Egypt, out of satanic captivity, to rule in the earth, see? By the way, the rod of Aaron, you remember what it did? It budded. The budding of Aaron's rod is the issue of restoration of Israel. In that Ark of the Covenant, you've got the the Ten Commandments, the broken law, because it's broken. But then you've got the pot of manna, there's the provisions by God, and then you've got the rod of Aaron, the restoration of Israel, see? So, but the rod of Moses—that's something else going on there. It's I'm here to lead this people, God's people, out, and they're going to run the show. And you know who ain't happy about that? The adversary isn't. Now, Exodus 4. Come back to verse. uh, Well, verse three. So watch, watch what he does here. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he brought it forth, uh, his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Now think about when you pick up a serpent, the tail is not where you want to pick the snake up at. Because if you pick it up with the tail, he can still strike you and get you. What are you going to do? You're going to hold his head down and grab him by the head. So what's happening here. Is the serpent is running from Moses? He's going the other way. You, you know that old saying, "Turn tail and run." That's this is this is where this comes that comes from is right here. So it isn't the, again the serpent is running from Moses. Cast it down. Pick it back up. You've got the authority. You've got the power. Now watch verse five. Why are you doing this, Moses, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. Now, that's why we're doing this. By the way, if you drop down to verse 9, and it shall come to pass if they will not believe also these two signs Neither hearken they unto thy voice that thou shalt take of the water. And he's, you see, their the signs were for Israel to believe who? Moses. It was to confirm. The sign is a picture that Moses is the one here. God has placed all the authority in Moses to lead Israel out, and then the authority is going to go on to Israel as the the people to rule over the earth through the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That that whole covenant, it's going full circle here. By the way, the serpent, the adversary, does not like this at all. Okay? You think about Genesis 3 when the serpent first shows up, and he attacks God's plan with man. Revelation 12, the serpent shows up again, and he's attacking the little flock in in the tribulation. Come over to Exodus. I'm sorry. Uh, Ezekiel 29. Ezekiel 29. You've got Pharaoh here. 29.2. Son of man, set thy face against Pharaoh, king of Ur, king of Egypt, prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Now, this isn't the same Pharaoh as in Exodus. This is a few years later. Okay. Speak and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lieth in the midst of his rivers, which hath said, My river is mine own, and I have made it myself. The Pharaoh here, and then Egypt is a rep- remember. Go back to Exodus. Remember, the Pharaoh in Exodus does is a usurper. Isaiah calls him. He's that. He's that antichrist. He doesn't know. Uh, well, it's Exodus one, and verse uh, eight. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt which knew not Joseph. So Egypt is representing the satanic captivity That is that has Israel by the grips. The stronger has them in the grips. So take the rod up, go back to Exodus 4, take the rod up, cast it down. A picture of the Authority of Israel in the earth, and it's been set, it's been cast down. And Moses has come to deliver them out of satanic captivity. He's going to come and dispossess the unclean spirits, cast them out. And he's demonstrating that Moses has been commissioned by Jehovah to take. Israel out of captivity, okay? Now, the Lord does that by what? By casting out the demons, the devils, the unclean spirits. So the first sign, the first category of signs here in Exodus 4, in the very beginning, is dealing with that serpent, dealing with that satanic captivity, okay? Now, verse 6. Verse 6, And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thy hand into thy bosom. See the hand, okay? Put it in your bosom. Again, that's the Napoleon look, okay? And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thy hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as other as his other flesh. Bosom, the bosom, that's the place of the heart. That's the location close to your heart. Leprosy, Leviticus 13 and 14, leprosy is a picture of the corruption of sin. And we're out of the heart is where the sin comes. Out of the heart, man, is the heart is desperately wicked. Out of the, out of the heart come the issues of life. So sin... He puts his hands in, pulls it out, sins, corrupted it. That's a demonstration that you can't cure yourself. You can't cure leprosy. You can't cure your sin problem. Put it back in. All cleaned up. Moses, not only do you have the authority, not only are you giving the sign to have the the satanic captivity, Dealt with, but now you have your own corruption to deal with. Not only do you have to deal with satanic captivity, but now you got a sin problem you gotta to have to deal with. And the only way to deliver, be delivered from either one is what is by what Moses is going to do. So the deliverance, it starts in the heart, just as the corruption starts there. That's why Acts 3, he talks there at the end there in verse 26 about turning them away from their sin, away from their iniquity. Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God, the righteousness of God, and then all these things will come out. So it starts with something that Moses can't do on his own, okay, and he's going to have to come over here now and preach a word and then the sign demonstrates it. And what he's demonstrating is is that Israel really is a fallen nation. And Israel will never be who God has chosen them to be in the energy of their own flesh. So Moses is going to do some things. He's going to got two signs. He's going to cast out the devil, And he's going to heal them. And that's the two issues that in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, come back to Matthew 10, hold on to Exodus. Matthew 10, verse 1, hold on to Exodus. He says there, and when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out. There's dealing with the satanic captivity. And to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. There's the issue of the spiritual issue and and dealing and healing the the sin curse. Because, come back to Exodus 7. Because there's two curses that they've got to deal with the curse of sin, and then the curse of the satanic captivity that results because of the sin curse. You see, Israel has to be released of those two issues before they can be that kingdom that God chose them to be in the earth with rule and authority and able to do. So Exodus 7. Exodus chapter 7. Moses goes to Pharaoh. Let my people go. And he says, who are you? <laughs> who, do you who in the world do you think you are? Say. So Moses comes in. Uh, by the way, this is a contest. You got ex- hold on to Exodus seven. Look over at Exodus twelve. Just you got to understand what's happening here in Exodus. It's a contest, really, between God and Satan, and not Moses and Pharaoh, the men. It's a spiritual contest. Uh, Exodus twelve twelve. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. And will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods, little g, of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So who's, who's the fight with? Moses and Pharaoh are the human instruments right here. But it's really God destroying Satan and his the little gods, the little g's. Uh, come over to chapter 18. And there's going to be 10 of them, 10 specific gods that the Lord's going to deal with. Chapter 18, verse 11. Chapter 18, verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. See the little g. So the t- 10 plague. now come back to Exodus 7, because I want you to see this about what he's up against and what these signs are doing here. So the signs, he's going to go in. By the way, they do believe Moses. They, they do believe him, and they do go on and, and hearken and do. And uh, Back there in chapter 4, in verse 31, he says, and the people believed. So Moses goes, delivers the message, does the signs, and guess what? They believed him, and they're ready to go. You're You're our guy. Let's go. But look at 7.11. Again, Moses goes into Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, who are you? Uh, 7.2 there. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and, and the Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he shall send the children of Israel out of his land. But Pharaoh shall not hearken, verse 4. Verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that. So so. The Lord is implementing what is called the delay principle. Moses, this is what we're going to do, but before we do this, I'm going to go do this over here. So the delay principle is a natural thing in Israel's history as well. And it starts right here at the very beginning. Just like the signs do, so do this. Now look at verse 11. Verse 10, And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did like manner with their enchantments. Now, real quick, the magicians here is not David Copperfield nonsense. These are necromancers. These are guys who are supernaturally raising and doing they're that satanic, lying wonders. This stuff is legit. It is real. It isn't some kind of hokey, you know, trickster stuff at all. Verse 12, For they cast down every man his rod, and they became servants. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. <laughs> Now, what happened here? Now, 2 Timothy 3, Paul identifies these guys as Janus and Jambres. They withstood Moses. They, the Pharaoh goes and gets his religious leaders. They answer. They do the same thing that Aaron and Moses did. They just did it two to one. So what's the religious system going to always look like? They're outdoing us two to one. Okay, That's why Paul says, don't compare yourselves. It's not wise. They're out doing two to one. By the way, that's why you don't look at numbers. You don't. I mean, we count heads every Sunday, so we have a kind of an idea how we're doing growth-wise. But you, why? Because you don't count numbers to confirm truth. Because if you confirm truth by going to the biggest, and the, then you're in, you're in for a shock, a disappointment. But what did they do? They duplicate what Pharaoh. Is testing Moses' word and authority. He's testing Jehovah to see if really what they're seeing, the supernatural events, is is exact, is is right. It's, it's legit. Now, if you look over at verse uh, 22. And the magicians, so here's the first judgment, and he's going to turn the river, was turned into blood, the end of verse 20 there, verse 22, and the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart, what did they do? They duplicated what Moses and Aaron did, all right? They duplicate the water to blood, chapter 8, verse 6, and Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land. See, they're duplicating. They're they're answering it at every step. But now watch verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in men and in beast. and all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the Egyptians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice upon men and upon beast. Now think about what just happened there. Pharaoh is... Testing Moses, testing Jehovah to make sure that what the frogs, the blood, the water, all this stuff is real. And he's answering it, tet for tat, right here, boom, until it comes to dealing with the dust. Creator. Now look at verse 19. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Notice what they, they couldn't do it. Now, why couldn't they do it? Because they couldn't, they can't take dust. By the way, who's made out of dust? Man is. See, Come over to Jeremiah 10. Jeremiah 10. You got to think about this sometimes. this stuff in by the way, the stuff in Egypts very, this stuff very fascinating. Jeremiah 10, when it comes to reproducing creation, man can't do it. So when it came to the dust, what were they doing? What was God doing? He took dust and made it into lice. They couldn't do that. They could do all the other stuff because it's not a creative moment. But he took dust and he made life. Now, life was lice. But he made Jeremiah 10. Look at verse 10. But the Lord is the true God, capital G. He is the living God, and that's the key. And an everlasting king, at his wrath, the earth shall tremble, And the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall ye say unto them, the gods, little g, that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and and, and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion." You want to be God, you go create your own universe. Oh, by the way, create your own dirt. See, you can't. And that was the point here. He's demonstrating through Moses and the activity of the signs and the doings that he's completely destroyed the gods of Egypt. By the way, from Exodus 8 on, you never read of Pharaoh's magicians ever again. They've been completely destroyed destroyed, completely brought to not. They're gone. So, in Exodus, by the way, in Exodus 8, 9, 10, Moses, he's confirming who Jehovah is and then who Israel is. Who is Jehovah? He's the living God. Who's Israel? Israel is the people of the living God. There he is. So, when you come back to... Oh, go back to Exodus. We got you got a few more minutes cuz there's another sign there in Exodus 4, by the way. And then get Exodus 4 and 1 John 3. And go to hold on to Exodus 4, go to 1 John 3. 1 John 3 verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's the first sign, casting out the unclean spirits. Why was the Son of God manifested? Why did earthly ministry, why did he do all that? To destroy the adversary? Now draw your eye back up to verse 5. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. There's the second issue, and that's to deliver them from uh, the curse of the sin. So two things here. One, deliver them from the satanic captivity, and then come in and then deliver them from their own sinful corruption, which is what is... Which, is, which kept them from being usable by God for the purpose in which he had created them. And he's going to fix all that. And when he cleans it up, go back to Exodus 4. When he cleans all that up, then they go. Okay. Now, Exodus 4, verse 8. Because there is a third sign here. Exodus 4 and verse 8. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, "...neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign." And by the way, verse 31, the people believe. Okay? They do believe the the word. They do believe the sign. That's exactly what's happening in Mark 16. But look at verse 9. "...and it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice." That thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Now, th- think about water. Water is a blessing to the dry land, but blood is what is a curse. It's judgment. It's damnation. So if you're not going to accept the blessings that God's providing in the water, i.e. water baptism, how do we get in? Now we're back in Mark 15, Mark 16, 16. Then what's going to happen? If you don't believe, you are damned. If you believed, you're going to get water baptized, get the blessings and you're going to go into the kingdom blessings. If you don't, you see Mark 16, where we're at. And it's time to quit. So that third sign, he they, he didn't have to do that because what they do, they believed. Verse 31. See Mark 16, where we're at here is Mark 16. He's just repeating the pattern that's been there all through Israel's history to demonstrate how God will deliver them from satanic captivity and from their iniquities, their sin, and then carry them into the blessings of the kingdom, the water on the the dry land. In Ezekiel, it's called showers of blessing, water on the land, rain. Now, verse 17, these signs shall follow, and we'll talk about them next time. But it's, again, the signs are there to confirm the word, confirm what's being preached. Preaching and showing. They're ongoing. It's been that way from the very beginning. It's the way God has dealt with Israel, and it's the way what he was going to deal with them out in the future. Same way. He, none of that's changed. You and I today, we interrupt that. We don't have this. Um, Paul does it. Paul has special miracles. Why? Because he's a special guy. He's got special things going on. You and I don't have that. You know, I look back there. Timothy didn't have it. Timothy couldn't heal. Timothy couldn't do. Titus can't do. Onesimus can't do. Uh, Epaphroditus, none of these guys can do. Paul can do. Why? Because he's the spokesman. He's the special case. You and I aren't. I'm sorry. Just look at, not many noble, not many wise. That's who we are, okay? All right? Anyway, okay, we'll pick up in verse 17 next time and look at the signs and so forth and uh, spend a little time in these, okay? All right, Dear Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instructions here that we can see and we can look at and we can study out and we can just relax and enjoy your word to your people in their time and what they'll be doing and able to do. And we just rejoice in what you've done for us in your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.